Welcome to another episode of Theology Doesn't Suck, where, as always, hopefully, theology doesn't suck, because as we've heard before, bad theology gets people killed, and we are not about that life here. And so, with <laughs> as always, I'm Josh, one of your hosts, and with me today is the amazing Marty Frederick. What it is, Marty? What's up? Well, I thought you were going to say, and with me today is the amazing Chance. Ah, well, he just farted. It stinks. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it's not so amazing, but yes, I do have Chance, uh, on my lap with me. Chance is our foster puppy. Um, yeah, so, oh, good boy. He's been, uh, with us for a couple weeks now. He comes from Noelle's work. Uh, my wife, Noelle, she works for, uh, uh, Animal Rescue. Um, and so we're fostering this little guy until somebody adopts him. And so he's sitting on my lap and just chilling. But hey, if you guys want a dog, like... DM me and go stalk my Instagram page because he's on there. Uh, we're calling him Chance the Pupper. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Being and, from Chicago, I definitely appreciate that. You know. Yeah, we're Chance the Pupper, and we're hoping that he has a big day here soon when he gets adopted. <laughs> yeah, you see what we did there? That's nice. What if, what if Chance the Rapper adopted Chance the Pupper? That would be awesome. Like Chance, we, do it. <laughs> yeah, I hope Chance the Rapper listens to this podcast. That would be cool. That'd be super dope. Maybe we, we should get on him one. That would be fun. Be, oh man, can you imagine that? That'd be so much fun. I don't even know what we talk about. I mean, like, I know that we could just talk about how, how awesome Chicago is because I bet you, in our guest question that we ask, he would answer the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, I know for a fact he would answer the Chicago Blackhawks. See, now I'm a big fan. We're going to get Chance the Rapper on the podcast. That would be so cool. <laughs> Got to figure that one out. That'll be interesting. Sweet. Well, <clears throat> so we did... Oh, Chance. Hi. Good boy. This, somebody really has to adopt him. Marty, can you attest, like, how cute is this freaking dog? Dude. That dog is amazing. If he could hear me right now, he would just he would he would he would want to come home to me. But my wife would be uh, not a fan. And uh, currently, we're we're living with my mom. I know, I know, I know. When you live with your mom, it's super not cool. But I'm not trying to get a girlfriend, so like I feel like it's it's okay. But like my mom is allergic to dogs, so oh, bummer. Uh, we wouldn't be able to. But someday, like later on in life, in like years and years and years, and I hope it doesn't come to this. Like I wouldn't hope for this, but on the day, like the time that when my mom passes away, um, then we would maybe be interested in getting a dog. Cause then that way we wouldn't, wouldn't make it so she couldn't come over or anything like that. But like my mom is like super young. Like my mom is only like 54. Yeah. So like God, God willing, that is going to be a very long time before, uh, that happens. Uh, <laughs> it could be forever. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, hopefully somebody will adopt this little guy soon. Somebody whose mom's not allergic to dogs. Uh, and he's so cute and adorable. Aren't you chance? Good boy. Yeah. He's doing good. He's crazy. I don't know what kind of dog he is, but he's cool. He's some kind of cattle mix puppy, but he's very good. He's a good dog. He is. He is. Sweet. Well, so Marty, we, uh, we're recording this, this intro kind of post something that happened actually post the the interview that we want to share with people today. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to interview, uh, somebody we've talked to before named Thomas J. Ord. Um, and so that's, that's what we're going to be sharing with people today, but unfortunately you weren't be able to, you weren't able to be on the interview with me. Yeah, that's right. I wasn't able to be there. Um, and uh, part of that was just, I think, just logistical things. So my kids, 
uh, we live in the Illinois sub- the Chicago Illinois suburbs, and uh, believe it or not, uh, the day that we're recording this intro um, is only like a week after the day that um, Thomas J. Orr was on the podcast, and my kids have already started school. Um, uh-huh. But at the same time, I also know that there were kids elsewhere that started even before this, like today. Um, and so uh, last week was sort of like the last week of summer. You know, our family was invited over to people in our churches. They have they, they live on a lake and they have a boat and they wanted us to one of my kids to come over with us all and, and go tubing uh, and just kind of enjoy life together and get to know. So we're, we're still somewhat new to this church. And so it's always great to be able to spend time with people uh, in the church, just particularly when people want to just love on your family. Um, but uh, as as much as I love Theology Doesn't Suck podcasts, like, guys, I love doing this. Like, my family will always be first to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. They and, should uh, always be number one no matter what. Yeah. And then, like, and then like of course, like, I would never miss the opportunity to, like, see my kids pod- or, uh, go, uh, go tubing and uh, just enjoy time swimming and, like, do family time t- together. So um, I... I felt like I made the right decision to say, unfortunately, I just can't be there um, to to be with you guys. But um, I've listened. I've, I've, I'm super excited to get to listen to what what he had to say when we had when we had him on before. He just super well articulated man, and just the kind of guy that uh, really is the kind of person that you know has spent a lot of time thinking about what he what he believes and what he says. And um, he's not just he's not just walking around coming up with these ridiculous thoughts and like, you know, on a whim, like he really honestly thinks about the things that he says and like truly believes them. And that's the kind of person that you can really kind of say, this is an admirable person that just really kind of thinks through what he believes. So, yeah, absolutely. And like, we (laughs) talked about this before Marty off air, but like, I know last time we had him on, there was a little bit of controversy from listeners, like, you know, wanting to, I don't know, for whatever reason. And, like, we validate that. I'm not, you know, trying to talk down or, or bad about listeners right now. But uh, I think what's really cool that that I had the opportunity to do in this episode is, like, uh, kind of hear the heart behind what Tom is doing and why he's doing it. And so I'm really excited, you know, for them to hear that, uh, for you guys to hear, like, really the pastoral heart that Tom has behind everything that he does. And um, he's not afraid to, to address controversy. I mean, I straight up brought it up to him, like, hey, people were concerned, like, what do you think? <laughs> and he was yeah. very gracious. And so I'm excited for, uh, for them to have a listen. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. All right, guys. Well, uh, hopefully you enjoy and uh, we'll see you soon. Check it out. Awesome. So, yeah, like uh, we just said today, I have the privilege once again of speaking with uh, Thomas J. Ord. How's it going, Tom? Doing well. It's my privilege to be uh, speaking with you again. <laughs> We're excited. Now, you might not know this, but you are actually our first ever returning guest. Oh, that's a high honor. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, it's a high honor. Goodness. Uh, I think Marty, the only thing Marty might disagree because technically Marty was once a guest before he became a co-host. Uh, so we might have to duke it out with him. But uh, since he's not here and I can say what I want, I'm giving you that that title and now your career is going to take off forever (laughs) (laughs) that's right this was the boost i needed (laughs) all all 12 of our listeners will you know be thrilled (laughs) just kidding we love you guys (laughs) anyway um yeah i'm super excited to to have another conversation with you um we really enjoyed our first conversation i know i can speak for marty in saying that 
Um, but before we jumped in, I, I did want to, uh, I talked a little bit uh, about this with you off air, but I did want to address something uh, because last time you came on, uh, which I'm, I know, <laughs> I'm sure you've gotten this before, but some of our listeners, uh, there was some controversy with them. And, you know, disagreeing with things or asking questions like, oh, well, is God powerless? That kind of stuff. You know, the things I'm sure you've heard before. Um, And so what we really tried to do is encourage them to remember, one, you know, the the theme of our show, the the heart of what we're doing is to generate conversation. Uh, Even if that means disagreeing with somebody, that can still help strengthen our faith, right? Because at least we know why we believe what we believe. Uh, But what I wanted to do just um, because... I think you're an awesome person, <laughs> and I. Oh, well, that's I, kind of. I really, I really see a lot of the heart, you know, behind what you're doing, and so I wanted to, um, to kind of share that with people because I think that'll help break down walls. Because at least from my perspective, I see a real pastoral concern, um, yes. and a pastoral heart that you have behind what you're doing, and so can you just speak to that? Maybe give a why as to, you know, what you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy you say you see that in me because I, I really feel like I want to help people, mm. and helping people takes lots of different forms. But one of the forms is helping people to think through uh, how God is acting in the world and in their own lives, in particular. And um, some people go through really rotten situations. Uh, either it's rotten because of society or particular personal encounters or just freak accidents and unlucky breaks. And they then ask big questions about God. What, you know, why would God allow this to happen? Or why did God do this to me? Isn't God supposed to be loving? Isn't God supposed to be protecting me, caring for me, etc.? Um, and I think those are legitimate questions to ask and the usual answers people have given to those really tough questions, at least to me are unsatisfying. And really to Mm -hmm. most people I know they're unsatisfying. Sure. And so, um, this particular book that we're going to talk about today, uh, God can't is especially written for survivors, for victims, for people who've been harmed and are asking these super important questions. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I know um, as I was reading through it, I personally know um, people in my family, but also in close friendships um, or even just, you know, students of mine. Uh, I'm a youth pastor. Uh, so students of mine that have, have had really troublesome experiences in their lives that have wrestled with these kind of questions. So perhaps for me, a lot of what you're doing strikes a chord because it's very personal. Um, And so I know it's been very helpful. And I, you know, I'd like to talk about some of the stories you share in your book, um, you know, a little bit later on, because you have some really powerful testimonies of people uh, who your work has impacted, uh, I would say in very positive ways. And, um, you know, oftentimes people have this tendency to want to turn their backs on God, turn their backs on Jesus and, and run away from the faith when bad things happen. And I think you provide a, a logical way to think about things, even if some people disagree, a logical way that people can help reconcile some of the feelings and thoughts and doubts that they're having after experiencing these really traumatic and as you say, rotten uh, things in life. Yeah, you've captured it really well. So uh, thanks. And and I'm happy you point to the 
the real life stories I tell in the book, God Can't. Uh, <laughs> since the publication of that book, just in January 2019, I've gotten probably 10 times as many letters of people reading that new book. Uh, and, you know, they read the stories from a previous book. So it is exponentially more influential in helping people to wrestle with big questions and not just at the end of the day say, well, we asked the questions, but actually have a proposed set of answers to those questions. Mm, sure. Yeah, that's that's really good. And um, I just see that, I think, like I said, in the, in the testimonies of these individuals, and it's cool to, to hear you share about, you know, tons of other people who have written in uh, that has impacted uh, them for, um, you know, positive ways as well. So that's that's cool to see. Well, you know, this particular book's title, obviously, it, it jars people when they see it. The, the title of the book is God Can't, How to Believe in God and Love After Tragedy, Abuse, and Other Evils. Mm. And the very idea that there's something that God can't do is, you know, strikes many people as almost heresy, if not outright heresy, because they've always been led to believe that God can do absolutely anything. But you can understand why people who are going through rotten situations don't feel satisfied with the answer that God is causing this, you know, or permitting these things from happen happening sure. to them. And uh, actually, maybe this would be a nice place. Let me read one of many, many, many emails I've received from people who've read this God Can't sure. Book to illustrate why going the step to saying God can't stop evil single-handedly is uh, better than saying God won't or that God causes it. So here's one from a woman who writes this. So I will tell you a bit about my story. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse a lot and for a long time by my brother. In the midst of the worst years of my life, I had a very vivid dream of God walking over to my bed as I was being raped. God simply reached out, held my hand, and cried. For a few short days, I was elated. God hadn't left me after all. But then came the anger. Anger that God was there, and instead of stopping it, he simply held my hand and watched. For a long time, years, I was angry about that. I prayed for a breakthrough, but I never got it. So I tried to bury it. Now, paging through your book, praying and contemplating I can see more clearly what may have been happening. God could not stop my brother because God gives free will. How could God have stopped him? The reality is that God couldn't, not that he didn't. And for me, this is a complete game changer. So you can see the difference this idea makes. If you think God is allowing the horrible things that happen to you, in this case, sexual abuse, and God is allowing it, even though God could stop it, 
it's really hard to believe that God truly cares and loves for us. But if God is present to us, feels our pain, works to stop it, but can't stop it single-handedly because God gives free will and agency to other creatures, etc., then God can be trusted to do the very best God can do, even though God can't single-handedly stop the evils. Yeah, that, man, that, <laughs> and that story is, the that kind of story is, is exactly what I was talking about. The, I mean, just to hear, like, the, first off, like, the bravery for that woman to, to write that letter to you is, yeah. um, you know, speaks volumes, and uh, you know, these kind of uh, tragic stories just, you know, really hit home for me, especially because I, um, I have within my family, not me personally, but I, people in my family that have experienced a uh, similar, um, situations. Uh, but yeah. then also on the flip side of that, I have some very good friends of mine uh, who I met through ministry who have made some mistakes in their younger years that they are yeah. now uh, you know, registered sex offenders for the rest of their life. Um, and so it speaks to that as well, like on a a whole different level. And so it's, it's a really personal thing for me. Um, yeah. So (laughs) thank you, uh, for, for your work. And, um, you know, if that lady, whoever wrote that, if she ever stumbles her way upon theology doesn't suck in this conversation, I'd like to thank her for, for speaking out as well. Yeah, and like I said, that's just one among dozens and dozens of notes I've gotten. Or, And if I could count the conversations people have had with me after my speaking events, I mean, there's just hundreds of conversations. Mm. This is an idea I had been working on for quite a while. And as we talked about in the previous podcast, uh, that I articulated in a more sophisticated way in this book, The Uncontrolling Love of God. But Upon writing that book and talking with people, I realized that just saying God can't single-handedly prevent evil doesn't go far enough in answering lots of other questions and presenting a a kind of a holistic set of answers to the problems of suffering. Mm. And so that's what this newer book, God Can't, tries to do by offering these five beliefs we need to uh, solve this problem. Sweet. Yeah. I, I'm, so I'm super excited to jump into those five beliefs. And I would, I would actually argue that three out of the five are things that um, are, would be non-controversial. Like I think the, the oh, average run-of-the-line Christian, three out of the five of them, I think uh, they would agree with those. So I, I want to challenge our listeners uh, who might have some disagreement to try to focus on those three things um, and then just hear what, and, 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 you know, enter with an open heart um, to hear, hear from the other two. But before we jump into those, you, you mentioned a word, uh, that I think gets thrown around a lot and probably, okay. probably a word that gets thrown a- around a lot, uh, in a way that's inappropriate. Um, and that word is heresy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, just from experience and from talking to other people and, and from some of our listeners, uh, that's a word that you might have, have heard come your way before. Sure. And so is there, I mean, we don't have time to jump into that completely, but there's, is there anything that you would, you would like to say around that topic? Because I think it's thrown around far too often. I think yeah. people don't actually understand what they're saying when they say that. Um, yes. Because when I read Thomas J. Ord, when I talk to you, when I see the work that you're producing and the fruit that it's producing, 
you are are connecting people to Jesus and it is producing mm. good fruits. And I don't think you would deny any of the mi- main Christian creeds. So no, why no, do no. people why do people throw around this word so often? Well, I think, you know, I hear it, I see it, I guess, most on Twitter and Facebook. These yeah, days. exactly. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter is a vile place. <laughs> yeah. And usually people throw that word out there uh, to put a label on a set of ideas they disagree with. Mm. Often, what I think is kind of funny, often it's Protestant Christians who are using the label uh, to some views that you know they they think don't fit biblically or they weren't taught that or whatever. But if we're getting really technical on what counts as a heresy, it has to be some set of uh, or some view that uh, an official church council has condemned. Mm. And if we go that route. A whole lot of Protestants are, <laughs> are, are de facto heretics. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, we just, in our day and age, there are just not many heresy trials in the sense of having church doctorate councils get together to, to declare such things. So it's just kind of thrown out there to be a label for views I don't like or never heard of and go against what I've normally heard. So, what I try to do is when people throw that label at me, I try to point to biblical support for the ideas I'm putting on the table. Mm-hmm. I'll appeal to other theologians who said something similar or sometimes the exact same thing. And, you know, I don't want to try to walk around saying, I know everything and I've got all the truth and I know God perfectly, etc. But I do want to say, you know, the ideas that I'm proposing have biblical support, make sense, they're reasonable, they fit the way our lives are, and oftentimes there's some kind of precedent in the Christian tradition, maybe not the dominant or the main part of the Christian tradition, but others have been wrestling with these ideas, and if not agreeing with my proposal, coming pretty close. Sure. So um, the word heresy is just not very helpful. Yeah, absolutely, and thank God that uh a lot of people who are called heretics, or actually, I, don't, I think most people who are called heretics nowadays, uh, no longer have the same penalty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're no longer. That's right. Yeah, I think if people realize that they killed heretics and yes. basically said, "You are not saved. You do not know Jesus. So we're going to kill you." And you know, in turn, that means you're going to spend eternity in hell. I think if people actually realized that, they'd stop throwing around that term so loosey-goosey. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. And it, it just really has become such like a false signifier and empty rhetoric uh, to some extent. Um, sometimes, maybe not, but I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, let's... Uh, so thank you for your thoughts on that. We'll go ahead and, and set that to the side. And what I really want to do is focus on your book, God Can't, and specifically the five propositions uh, that you laid out. So if you would allow me, I would like to, I'm going to list out those five things, and then Great. maybe we can uh, tackle them one at a time. And then Great. we'll go on from there. So your five propositions uh, that make up the chapters in your book are this. Number one, God can't prevent evil. Number two, God feels our pain. Number three, God works to heal. Number four, God squeezes good from bad. And number five, God needs our cooperation. I think in my heart, uh, two, three, and four are things that I think most people will agree with. Number five, um, people might have the word, trouble with the word need, but I think yeah. that's a solid one too. I think if people can get over number one, 
then you know <laughs> God can't do something, then it'll really uh, open their eyes to other things. So let's let's start with that one. I know we addressed it uh, in our episode before, but just for people who didn't uh, get to hear that, although I would encourage you guys go check it out. The uncontrolling love of God. Um, number one, God can't prevent evil. Okay, so let me let me start with this by saying there are many biblical passages that speak to things that God simply can't do. God can't tell a lie. God can't be tempted. God can't grow tired, etc., etc. But the one I especially like, and that I refer to in this book and in the previous one, is one in which uh, the Apostle Paul is writing Timothy. And he says, when we are faithless, God remains faithful because God cannot deny himself. Mm. So the idea is there that there are some things that God simply can't do because to do them, God wouldn't be God, we might sure. say. Sure. And this is an idea that even though it's not usually thrown around in many churches I go to, the vast majority of theologians have believed this, from Thomas Aquinas to John Wesley to, you know, just line them up. Uh, not every, but most major theologians have said things like, God can't do what is illogical. God can't decide to stop existing. Hmm. God can't make another God. I mean, they, they've all said there are certain things God can't do because to do them, God would not be God or, you know, whatever. So I'm building from that particular tradition that's both in the Bible and in the Christian tradition. And my proposal is that God necessarily loves and this love is uncontrolling. It's self-giving and others empowering. And God just doesn't love sometimes. God loves all the time. And God just doesn't love humans or animals. God loves all creatures, all creation, all the time. And if love is inherently uncontrolling, well, God simply can't single-handedly prevent the rotten stuff that happens in the world. That's the basic idea that I have in this first chapter. Sure. Yeah. And I think um, you did a really great job, um, you know, laying it all out right there, but also too, you elaborated on it a whole, a whole lot more in, sure. in the episode <laughs> we did with the uncontrolling love of God. So I didn't, I don't want to focus too much on that because I think you did a, a perfect yeah. job laying that out. But if people, if you really want a more in-depth conversation with that, like perhaps this is your first time um, encountering, uh, you know, uh, Tom's work, uh, go back and listen, you know, pause right now, go back, listen to the episode we did, The Uncontrolling Love of God, that'll answer a lot of your questions, um, and then come back and, and, and keep, you know, continuing on with this conversation. I think uh, you won't regret it. It'll be very helpful to you. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. I think, um, I think for me, oh. once... Once I grasped that uh, concept, and I think even just from a biblical standpoint, you know, because a lot of people just want to measure things, and rightly so, uh, from Scripture, I think that you can make a pretty solid biblical case that, yes, there are things God simply can't do. Um, and I yes. think that really wants people, uh, which is scary to think about, if we're honest, um, mm. and once people kind of get over that fear and and I kind of think about like, wow, God is so much, you know, bigger than I ever thought about. Um, and perhaps this is a way that makes God bigger, not smaller. Once I kind of, you know, got my head around that, it, it opened me up to, uh, 
some of these other ideas, um, you know, that you teach in, in your book. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I think one of the things that, that helps some people to get their head around the ideas I propose is to, for then they realize that I'm making the claim that God's love comes logically first in God's nature, which is a sophisticated way of saying we should understand God first as a God of love and then try to make sense of the other attributes, especially God's power, in light of God's love. And if, if love is inherently relational, mm-hmm. uh, then God is always inviting response, always acting and then uh, seeking our cooperation or some kind of alignment with creation. And um, I think that helps people to see, you know, if you think love is not over, uh, um, overpowering, is not single-handed, is not oppressive, is not unilateral, whatever, uh, that helps people then to begin to see the logic of this view that I'm proposing. Yeah, sure. And I think that idea, the idea of of cooperation and working alongside of, um, one thing that, um, you know, comes to mind for me is the work of N.T. Wright. Um, and, and he, I mean, that's very much his whole thing. Like sin is a vocational failure that God created us to be image bearers, to reflect his, you know, um, nature to all of creation and then to reflect our worship from creation back to God. So that, that kind of two way mirror, but God created us to be in cooperation with him. And I think because I have that understanding of sin, I think that has also kind of helped me personally, um, interact with some of your ideas. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. And N.T. Wright is a good name to throw around. I think we're in good company. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if uh, Tom would go quite as far as I I do in saying God can't do things. Sure. But I see his theology as generally compatible with these ideas. Again, he he might not quite take a step quite as far as I do. Right. But um, we're in the same ballpark. Yeah, that's awesome. Sweet. Um, well, cool. So I guess then what we'll do is we'll, we'll go to your next one, uh, which Great. I think is is maybe one of my favorite favorite points and one of my favorite chapters uh, to read was number two, that God feels our pain. Well, I'm happy you like that because uh, I think this is one of the ideas that's really grown in popularity. It's not only something that, you know, academic theologians believe, but lots of people in the pews and in the churches I've been a part of think that God really suffers with us, really feels our pain while we're feeling our pain. Mm. Um, In fact, it's so widespread that some people like take it totally for granted and can't (laughs) imagine anyone not thinking that. But if you looked carefully at the most um, influential theologians in Christian history, here I'm talking about people like Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John Calvin, these people did not think that God ever feels anything that we feel. Sure. God doesn't have any kind of empathy, we might say. And I think that's just wrongheaded biblically and in all kinds of different ways. Sure. But I wanted to say in this chapter, you know, part of the answer to the problem of evil is that you're not going through this all alone. Um, God is also there with you, feeling both the highs and the lows, empathizing with you, showing genuine compassion in the midst of your pain and suffering. 
Yeah, I think is the is the big theology word for that is that the doctrine of God's immutability that God or uh, impassibility. In, yeah, Although, there we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember um, as during my first year of uh, my very first full time ministry job, fresh out of college, uh, I was working for Youth for Christ. My first week on the job. Three students from the high school that I was intact, you know, tasked with uh, starting a campus life club for, three of them yeah. were, were killed in a car accident. Oh, my. And not only that, but to, that was the end of the school year. In the beginning of the school year, uh, a student was, was killed taking photographs for his senior portraits on a train track. He was hit by a train. And oh, my goodness. That student was best friends with three, these three kids. In fact, these three kids had tattoos, you know, in memorial of their friend. Yeah. And my first task was walking alongside these students who I didn't know in that. And I wow. remember, I remember this is when this idea that you're, you're, that you're saying here became real to me. Yeah. Because at like standing in front of those students and, and telling them, that God doesn't feel what you're going through, that God isn't saddened by this, just simply didn't feel right. It did not line yeah. up with what I know God to be. And I told them straight up, like, yeah, this sucks. And God is sad about this. And this is a tragedy in the purest sense of the term. Um, and that was really helpful to them. But I got some pushback from parents. I got some pushback from students uh, for the oh. exact, yeah, the, the, the kind of reasons you're saying, you know, oh, well, you know, John Calvin or some of these, you know, other people say, no, that's, that's just not true. And so, um, it was an interesting experience, but that, that experience really kind of helped shaped my understanding. Yep. And I, and I know a lot of times, uh, people try to push off this idea of experience. Like, well, we can't trust our experience. You know, you can't trust your heart, your emotions. Um, no. but I think, Richard Rohr uh, talks about a tricycle and the front wheel of the tricycle is experience. And then he has uh, scripture and tradition. And he said, the only reason I put experiences first is because I'm just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> if we're honest, <laughs> our experience drives all of us. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that was helpful uh, for me in understanding those kind of situations. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, let me, let me, um, well, let me tell you a little bit about the history of this before we go okay. to the third idea. Sure. Uh, the history of this impassibility issue, uh, people who were saying God isn't affected by what goes on, that's impassibility, that's what that means, uh, were worried that if God was affected by things, then God might be like the Greek gods and get so angry that God did something evil. And so they didn't want a God who was, uh, whose emotions got the best of him, we might say. Sure. And I can totally sympathize with that view. Absolutely. I, I'm of the opinion that God's nature is unchanging and unaffected. It's eternally the same. God always loves, et cetera, et cetera. But like you, it sounds like, I think God is also an experiencing being. God has real given, received relationships with us. And so God's experience changes, and therefore God feels the pain of the world. But God's nature is unchanging, and that nothing that happens in the world can change God's nature. But what happens in the world does affect God's moment-by-moment -moment relational love experience. 
Sure. Yeah, and I think too, just the I think we see this maybe in its purest form in the person of Christ Jesus. Yes. I think Jesus <laughs> dying on the cross it is a perfect example of this. A a perfect example, probably the best example of exactly what you're getting at in this chapter. Yep, yep, I agree with you. And that's just something that the early church theologians wrestled with because they wanted to say that Jesus tells us something about God, but they didn't want to say the cross and crucifixion really affected God. And so they, they struggled with this. And I'm on the side that says, you know what, we should think that the crucifixion tells us something about a God who really suffers with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think uh, the the beauty of the incarnation uh, continually, as I study it, continually gets more and more and more and more beautiful, especially once you realize that God became flesh in the person of Christ Jesus and suffered and died. You know, that I mean, that just connects so much to it, literally exactly yep. what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. I'm glad we see this similarly. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, cool. Awesome. Well, then uh, to, you know, not to rush on, but to, to move to your next um, proposition. Number three is that God works to heal. Yeah. So this was a chapter I have been thinking about for a long time, and it arises in part out of my own experience in not only praying for my own healing, but also praying for others to be healed. I went through a time in my life in which I was reading a lot of books about healing and listening to, in those days, cassette tapes (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, of people who had healing ministries and reading the Bible, of course. Um, And there was a great deal of emphasis upon the importance of healing both for evangelism, but also for feeling loved by God. And so I was, you know, I did a lot of prayers for healing. And I had to be honest that my prayers didn't seem to be very effective. Sure. A lot, a lot of the people I prayed for, the majority, the vast majority, never were, were healed. And so I went through a time in my life when I toyed with the idea that maybe God never heals anymore. Or maybe God didn't in the first place, and it's just people's psychology. You know, maybe it's the placebo effect or something. Um, I also have lots of friends who continue to believe God heals and does so dramatically. And there seems to be evidence that sometimes healing happens, either through unconventional means or through more conventional means, like, you know, medicine, doctors, etc. So in this particular chapter which says God works to heal, I make the argument that God is always everywhere working to heal to the greatest extent possible, but God can't heal single-handedly. So it's extending the God can't idea from the first chapter and applying it to the issues of healing And then saying, you know, the reason some people aren't healed is that their bodies didn't cooperate, the cells, whatever, the conditions were not aligned, there's something in the environment, um, so that God is not just picking and choosing who God wants to heal. God wants to heal everybody, but sometimes we're not healed because the conditions aren't right or our bodies don't cooperate. Yeah, I think, um, hmm. 
I think too, I think this might be a good time to, to introduce a, a thought or idea that I had, because I think it plays into the other propositions as well. But okay. when you talk about, you know, God not being able to work single handedly and, you know, people have choices that we can make. And I think you even break it down to the, the smallest level of like individual cells in our bodies um, in your book. But That's right. this idea, I think, would you then attribute maybe some of the persuasion or the way that God, um, you know, maybe encourages people? Because I know you definitely wouldn't use the word coercive, uh, coerces no. people, but that maybe God prompts us. Uh, God maybe suggests or directs um, using the Holy Spirit. Do you do you would you have kind of like a, a higher pneumatology in your understanding? Yes. Yeah, when I use the word God, I just mean, you know, God is the Spirit, Holy Spirit, whatever. Um, so, yes, and this particular chapter, thinking about God acting as Holy Spirit makes a ton of sense. Because even though I think God is present everywhere and always active, uh, using the Holy Spirit language, I think, helps most people conceptualize that better. Because so, for so many people, the word God means this guy out there somewhere, whereas the Holy Spirit means, you know, God active in, in the world at all places. And so, yes, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, active not only in our minds, but in every single cell of our body, in every single entity and creature in all creation, on this universe and every universe that exists, God present and active everywhere. And then the idea is that we, and I, we'll get into this, I guess, into to your fifth proposition, but the idea then is that people have to then respond to the prompting of said spirit to participate right. in the work of God to bring about these healings. Exactly. And not just people, but all creatures, all entities. So take this healing as a good example here. It could be that a person has, let's say, cancer, mm -hmm. and they are consciously cooperating with God to the greatest extent they know how to cooperate, but their cells are not cooperating. Their cells are not aligned to whatever extent cells can cooperate. Maybe the, you know, here there's a, some interesting metaphysical questions that I don't <laughs> sure. explore deeply in this particular book. But um, so I, I don't want and I say this in the book explicitly, I'm not blaming victims for not having enough faith and cooperation. Right. I think 99% of the time people have plenty of faith. It's just that their bodies or their environments aren't aligned or cooperating for the kind of healing that God is trying to do. Yeah, I think that's such an important distinction to make, too, because I think oftentimes people feel like exactly what you just said, even if it's not explicitly expressed um, yeah. and, and sometimes it is explicitly expressed. If only you had more faith, if only you read your Bible more, you prayed more, you went to church more, then God would have healed you. Uh, but to me, that's putting all the weight on on an individual's shoulders. And I think that's uh, one, unbiblical, but it also it's kind of spiritually abusive. <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's dangerous theology. I mean, you don't want, at least I don't want to present a picture of God who is, you know, sitting back, arm crossed, saying, you know, I could single-handedly cure you from cure you from cancer, but I require that you pray 73 times, <laughs> and you're only up to 57, so I'm not going to. I mean, that's just not a picture of a loving God. 
Sure. Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't want it to be all about how God's sort of sitting back and demanding more faith. I think God is always acting to the utmost at all times. Now, as I say in this chapter, sometimes people aren't fully healed through no fault of their own. Sure. I do believe in an afterlife in which yep. uh, we have different, either no bodies or different kind of bodies. There's different ideas there. But some healing might have to wait until the afterlife. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's spot on, uh, spot on. I think too. Um, oftentimes, I know um, this is a Marty comment. I'm going to make a comment just for him since he's not here. Good. <laughs> um, I don't know what your thoughts are on some of the uh, the Bethel Church people, but I do know Marty's a big fan. And oftentimes, I think um, uh, let me double check his name so I don't get it wrong because uh, I do have some of his books. Uh, Bill Johnson, so their head pastor. Um, has made has said things before like I don't believe in a in a Jesus who doesn't heal, um, and he often gets you know critiqued for saying like oh well you're you know propagating something false but also if people would read a little further they would see that he says that healing might not come right now it might come in the afterlife or yeah. you know whatever you believe that to be um, but I just I felt like I had to stick that in just from Marty you know since he's not here <laughs> <laughs> good good well and yeah. also as I say in the book you know if if we think God is a healing God, which I think God is, Absolutely. We, we oftentimes have this major split between, we'll call, I'll call it supernatural healing and uh, healing through conventional means like pills, mm. doctors or whatever. Sure. And I think that's just the wrong way to think. I yeah. think all healing comes from God, but it comes through many forms. Some of them are quite traditional, conventional things that we've learned that work. God is uh, working well, or that work well with God's action. Other times they are unexpected and unconventional, but it doesn't mean that God somehow decided to single-handedly step in and do something that God could do anytime. I think God is always working to the utmost. But sometimes the conditions are right or the cooperation is there to make it possible for God to heal, sometimes in dramatic ways, sometimes not. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good. And I think it's important, too, because oftentimes I see people kind of with the same concern that you brought up. They'll be like, oh, I'm praying for a miracle. But then they won't do common sense things like take medicine, go to the doctor. You know, yes. and to them, I you know, I'd be like, yeah, but come on, like God created these people, one in His image, but two with the gifting and ability to diagnose and treat the things that your body is going through. Like God can yeah. work, God can and does work with and through those people. Um, and also, we we tackled that idea too uh, at great lengths. Also, in the episode we did uh, previously with you, the 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 uncontrolling love of God. Um, which keeps coming up so, and, and which is funny because in that episode, Good. the God can't stuff kept coming up. So I really think people just need to listen to both of them. <laughs> uh, uh. So it's cool. All right. Well, um, we'll, mm, okay. Never. Mind. I was going to share a, a personal example, but we'll, we'll move on, um, to, okay. to number four, which is, uh, I think one that I don't know who would disagree with this because I think this is extremely biblical, I think of the story of Joseph right off the top of my mind, but number four is God squeezes good from bad. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm glad you think that because uh, I think a lot of people like that idea, but they also believe that God either wanted 
allowed or caused the bad in the first place because God had some kind of mysterious plan mm. to bring something good out of it. And so in this particular chapter, for instance, the Joseph story, I quote uh, a pretty famous Christian um, um, leader named Johnny Erickson, who reads the Joseph story. And when uh, it says, um, oh, all of a sudden the, the line is, is um, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. That's what it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so she reads that and she interprets that as what happened to Joseph, him being sold off into slavery and going through all these things to eventually being able to help his family. She reads that as some part of God's master plan that either caused or allowed Joseph to go through all the difficulties because God had in mind doing something good in the future. Because in her view, God knows everything, the future, past, all presently, etc. I think that God does squeeze good out of evil, but not because God either caused or allowed that evil in the first place. But God uses whatever can be used of a rotten situation God didn't want, God didn't allow, but couldn't stop single-handedly. God picks up the pieces and squeezes whatever good can be squeezed out of the bad God didn't want in the first place. Yeah, that um, I remember reading that chapter and something that it reminded me of is I think I'm, I'm fairly like almost 99.999% certain you've interacted with this person uh trip fuller you've done stuff with him before yeah trip made well you know he made a a movie um and in that movie there's a scene where his character and the guy that's the youth pastor are really getting into it and the youth pastor's kind of like you know got why is god tempting or um you know what is god trying to teach me whatever and distinctly i remember trip saying well you know what what if sometimes things just happen that are arbitrary yeah. And that hit me like, boom, <laughs> like, oh, my yeah. goodness. And uh, and so I think um, like that really spoke to me. And that I, I was reminded of that when I was reading your book. And I've even talked to I haven't said that from like, you know, from stage, so to speak. But I've talked with students about that before. Like, you know, maybe what if what happened is is arbitrary and God is feeling that with you <laughs> to go back right, to point two exactly. and yeah. God is doing his best to work in that situation to bring about the best possible good. Um, yes. I think that's a good way to think. Now, yeah. a lot of people, when they hear that arbitrary, then they think, Oh, well that must mean God isn't active in the world. God's, you know, somewhere in outer space and, or, you know, God doesn't have any kind of plans or purposes. And mm-hmm. you don't have to go that far. You can sure. say, yeah, God does have plans and purposes, but things happen in the world that God neither controls nor allows. And then God works with that event, be it an arbitrary event, an accident event, or even event caused freely by creatures who are doing something other than what God wants. God works with it to try to bring something good from it, even though God didn't want it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a personal example for me, like why this this chapter speaks a lot to me as well is um, just in my journey, after I left Youth for Christ, I started working for a church in South, in South Florida, in Boca Raton, Florida. And yes. my experience there was so negative, so, oh, no. so evil. I would use that word. Uh, and I yeah. mean that word. And, and people who listen to this podcast have heard me talk about this. 
um, the things that happened in that church were not of God. Yeah. I left that church, took a job at another church that against my best judgments, I not, I would not have normally worked at. Um, but because I was so desperate to leave this place, I started working there and I experienced a whole nother realm of issues that were not of God. And so I was yeah. like, man, this is the, this is supposed to be the body of Christ. And <laughs> I was like, God, why is this happening in your church? You know, why is this a thing? Why um, are these, these evil things happening? Why are people being hurt? You know, we're supposed to be uh, drawing people towards you. We're supposed to be, you know, seeing people come to relationship with, with Jesus and their lives transformed. Why am I seeing all this negative stuff? And yep. so when I thought about that, I was like, man, like, did God ordain this? Is this, you know, metic- meticulous providence? Uh, and no. I am, I'm not a Calvinist or reformed uh, by any means. Uh, yeah. But so this, this, you can probably see why this idea resonates with me on yep. such a personal level, because I seriously considered walking away from ministry. I had conversations with God, like, God, if this is what your church is like, if this is what you <laughs> will, I don't want to be a part of it because exactly. this is wrong. This is yep. wrong. And so this, yeah. yeah, another thing that really speaks to me on a personal level. Well, thanks for sharing that, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I know what really sucks about it, too, is, is Marty has a lot of the same sentiment. Um, mm. He also had, that's how I met him, uh, working at that church together. And in fact, him and I kind of uh, were each other's, um, we wouldn't have made it as long as we did there without each other. I think uh, that yeah. was a really cool thing. Um, and absolutely God squeezed, (laughs) to use your word, good out of these situations. There are things that I am thankful for, relationships that I made, um, you know, skills that I developed, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of people go through a rotten time. They hate it. And then after the fact, they look back and they see that something good came of it. And so in this particular scenario, you know, the friendship you have with Marty and the things you're doing now seem to be pretty good. And so people who see something good coming out of a bad situation, they're tempted to think that God wanted that bad situation in the first place, that it's some part of some divine blueprint or something. Um, And I'm saying in this chapter, no, no, you don't have to believe that God wanted or even allowed that, but you can believe that God uses it and squeezes whatever Mm. good can be squeezed from it. Yeah, I have. So this just came to me and perhaps we could say it's, it it might be the prompting of the spirit. Maybe not, (laughs) but I, (laughs) I have a a story I'd like to share with you real quick and not to put you on the spot, but I just, I want to share a story with you that you might've heard before. Probably you have. Um, and then just see if you could speak to it for a second, because it's about a person who means a lot to me. Uh, they're a person that have been listening to this podcast since day one. Um, and so I just want to share a bit about them. I'm not going to use their name, um, but a, a rough situation. And then I, I would like to see you speak to it because I think it might be helpful to them. Uh, so I have a friend of mine. It's actually a really good friend of Marty's as well. And uh, he uh, experienced the loss of somebody very close to him, a family member. Uh, for you know privacy, we don't have to get too detailed, but a family member that's yeah. very close to him uh, committed suicide, mm-hmm. and he was within minutes of being in the presence of this person, and he mm-hmm. continually struggles with this, and mm-hmm. um, it it hits him around the same time every year, and yeah. so is there is there any advice that you might give to to this person? 
Yeah, I know it's a well, tough. It's a tough one. I don't mean to put you yeah. on the spot, but I feel like you. You. I trust you enough that I think you might have a good answer. Yeah. Well, there's two things that come to my mind. One. One thing that comes to my mind is that um, the idea of freedom and uh, its implications. We need to take that f- seriously in all realms of life, and that means that sometimes people freely choose to do things either through, you know, maybe they're in a difficult mental situation or chemical situation or whatever. They freely choose to do things that we just simply can't stop. Uh, Mm. God can't stop evil single-handedly. We can't either. But maybe something that's more reassuring actually comes in the next chapter of the book. And that's my view of the afterlife. Sure. I, I think this because, um, I was in um, North Carolina recently speaking to a university, and I talked some about the afterlife, my, my view that's called relentless love. And it's basically the view that says that God always calls, reaches out, invites into a love relationship everyone, not only in this life, but also in the next life. Mm-hmm. Uh, God doesn't give up on anybody. Do- God doesn't say, well, you know, for 25 years you sucked, then you died. <laughs> so, you know, you're, I'm sending you to hell forever. Yeah. No, the God I believe in never gives up in this life and the next. And therefore, if we say yes to God, then we enjoy the positive consequences that come from this kind of love relationship. And so as I, as I was explaining this in uh, North Carolina, this woman came up to me and said, you know, that helps so much. Mm-hmm. My, my own son committed suicide a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, people told me that's the sin God never forgives. <laughs> and, um, you know, he had had a tough life. And, and if he's going to hell, you know, that, that, that's, not, that's not nothing good. And she talked Absolutely. about some, you know, what she called chemical imbalances and struggles he'd had mentally. And this view that God continues to work with us even after our bodies die in the afterlife was so reassuring because she could imagine her son being free from these things that troubled him, saying yes to God's love and enjoying the the loving relationship that comes from it. Mm. So that would be a major part of my answer to your friend who's struggling with this suicide that he couldn't quite uh, prevent. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. Again, sorry to put you on the spot, but I just no, um, no problem at all. I know for a fact uh, that that is going to be extremely helpful to this individual. Um, and you know, just from walking along, you know, side of him with the the few years that I've known him and. Uh, going through that, you know, th- I mean, that's a difficult situation that nobody, yes. ever, I don't wish that situation on my worst enemies. You know, that's such uh, a, no. such a, a, a difficult thing to walk through that often we don't have good answers or perhaps we're afraid of the good ga- answers that are out there. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think I really appreciate that. And I know uh, from him again, I'm not going to use his name to, for his purposes, but I know for a fact that I can thank you uh, for that response from this individual, um, and that it means a lot to him. So thank you. Good, good. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And so can we, uh, I guess that, I mean, that was a perfect transition into your, to your last point there that, that God needs our cooperation. But before I kind of like let you loose, so to speak, um, (laughs) your, your idea with the, with the afterlife, um, I guess is almost, would you like call it like a hopeful universalism almost, or maybe more in line with the, like an Eastern Orthodox perspective where, you know, to, you know, 
basically in their mind, even if you want to call it hell, is being in the loving presence of God. And we may or may not um, experience that differently based off of, um, you know, how we choose to respond to that love. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So um, for your listeners who've never heard the word universalism, that's typically understood as the idea that God accepts everyone into heaven, every being, you know, who's who's capable of heaven, we might say. God, uh, God doesn't send anyone to hell and accepts everyone to heaven. Now, there are different ways to think about how that happens theologically. And one way, this way is often associated with Karl Barth, is to believe that God has the kind of power to single-handedly send everybody to heaven, whether they not they want to be there or not. <laughs> uh, um, sure. And so God just, through some sovereign divine act, says, ollie, ollie, income free, and everyone <laughs> spends eternity in, in bliss. Now, that particular view uh, has some problems in my, in, in my perspective. One of them, of course, it assumes a view of divine power that I think makes no sense given evil of the world in the world. Mm -hmm. It also makes people who don't want to go to heaven have to go to heaven. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And uh, I think also it's problematic because to this, to the, to the uh, sensibilities of a lot of people, it sounds then like our actions here, good or evil, don't really matter. I mean, everybody's (laughs) going to go to heaven anyway, so why not just, you know, live for the most pleasure you can in this life? Sure. Uh, You know, and then, of course, we all want to look to the worst villains we can think of, Adolf Hitler, and think, well, he can just do that and go straight to heaven? What kind of, you know, justice is that? So um, my view is a little different. It It is hopeful in the sense that it is my hope that everyone cooperates with God and enjoys um, you know, the love of heaven everlastingly. But it says that God, even the afterlife, always presents us with a free choice, whether to accept that love. And those people who want to continue to say no to God, well, God doesn't send them to hell for eternity, but there are natural negative consequences that come from saying no to love. Hmm. And we experience those in this life, and they will, we will experience them in the next life if we say no to God's love. And so my view doesn't have a God who sovereignly just pushes everybody into heaven, but a view of a God who out of love seeks a loving relationship with everyone and whose love may indeed prove persuasive so that everyone says yes, but it's not guaranteed through some sovereign divine act. Mm, okay, so that, that kind of, I guess, would fall in line almost with like uh, like C.S. Lewis's novel, The Great Divorce, kind of that. Very similar, very similar. Yeah, Sweet. he doesn't have quite the same theological moves, but right, yeah, right. we're in the same ballpark, definitely. Okay, very cool. And I think, too, even... Um, I mean, this might be tracing a rabbit trail, so I apologize, but I, I've, I've been listening to uh, N.T. Wright talk about this as well, and in his book, Surprised by Hope, he touches on this, and then I've heard him explain it, but he has this idea that, you know, for lack of, you know, just for time's sake, basically, sin dehumanizes us, and then we become, um, you know, no longer the creatures that we're meant to be, so he uses, you know, Lewis's imagery of, of talking animals in Narnia that still exist, but they aren't talking anymore. They're no longer what God created them to be. So that's, uh, that's out there as well. (laughs) There's a lot of ways people think about this. Um, 
Yeah, and, and also too for people, if you want more information on universalism, we not again a shameless plug. We did an episode with Dan Koch a while back. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, Dan's an awesome dude. By the way, oh, yeah, shout yeah. out to him. He is. I mean, he I feel is. like I bother him because I'll message him on on Facebook or whatever, <laughs> and I feel like I'm just bothering him. But he's always so gracious and has great conversations. Super humble dude, and I know he's done episodes with you. The uh, yeah, he's a good guy. The, good guy. Was it you have permission to be a postmodern Christian? That episode was fantastic. So well done. Yeah. Thumbs up to you, Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, you know, you started off earlier saying yeah. that you thought most of your listeners could be on board with two, three, and four. Yeah. But one in five, you weren't sure. One was God can't prevent evil single handedly. Yep. And I suspect that number five, the pro the 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 aspect of that that you think your your listeners might struggle with is my provocative claim that God actually needs our cooperation for love to win. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of theologians today who say things like, uh, you know, uh, loving and gracious God has invited us to participate in what God's doing in the world, but they retain a particular view of God's power that give you the sense that if we don't cooperate, well, God will just single-handedly do, you know, get the job done that God wants done. Sure. And um, I think that presents all kinds of problems. Um, I want to focus on one particular problem, and that's the problem of insignificance. Okay. That is, um, if, in fact, God can just do whatever God wants to do in terms of act of uh, healing the world, of you know bringing about some sort of uh, kingdom of God or consummation of all things or the whatever, however the language you want to use, and God doesn't need our help, um, then do we really matter? Hmm. Do our lives really have any significance? Does what I do today really count? I don't think they d- all that stuff really counts if God can just single-handedly fix whatever God wants to do. Sure. In fact, you know, if God can just send everybody to heaven unilaterally, like classic universalism, you know, again, <laughs> then why why should I make real self-sacrifices to help others? Sure. In my view, however, God can't single-handedly make love win. God can't single-handedly bring about the kingdom of God. God can't single-handedly make sure everyone enjoys eternal bliss. What you and I and other creatures do really matter. It really counts. I think that gives us a sense of significance that other theologies just don't present. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of speaks to this problem that I think Churches as a whole, across the spectrum, have this problem where um, Jesus is Lord versus Jesus is Savior. They kind of mm. separate them. A lot of people like to take Jesus as Savior, but they don't take the Jesus as Lord bit, which means discipleship, the things that we do in response to our salvation, or you know, maybe another way to say that is the things that we do to live out our salvation yes. um, never actually happen. And it seems like this this idea that you're that you're proposing kind of helps address that issue and and bring these things back together once again. That that Jesus is both Lord and Savior, and that discipleship is a necessary element of our faith. 
Yeah, I like that. I hadn't really thought of that in terms of discipleship. Uh, maybe, <laughs> excuse me, maybe in part because the word discipleship in the ears or in the minds of many sounds kind of like, um, you know, we're supposed to obey God uh, because, you know, God wants us to do whatever God asks as some <laughs> sure. sort of slaves or servants or whatever. Uh, but if we think of discipleship as partnering with God, mm-hmm. that God has uh, a plan of love, and that plan involves inviting cooperators, inviting, inviting the bride of Christ, inviting us to play a role in the love work God is doing in the world, mm-hmm. then that's the kind of discipleship I'm totally on board with. Absolutely. I think that's a, a beautiful picture of discipleship. I think it's a biblical di- picture of discipleship. Um, I definitely teach my students that, so hopefully it's a, <laughs> a good yeah. thing <laughs> that, you know, yeah, um, yeah so that, that's really it cool. Reminds me, it reminds me, can I just throw in a, a, a movie reference? Sure, absolutely. I don't know if any of your listeners are uh, Princess Bride fans. Uh, Princess Bride came out 20-some years ago, but yeah. um, uh, there's a line at the very beginning of the movie that I, I really like. It's um, um, West, Wesley is a farm boy. And Buttercup is the, uh, I think, the daughter of the farmer or whatever. Anyway, Wesley is doing chores for the farmer and uh, for a Buttercup, who's the farmer's daughter. And, and whenever she asks him to do something, uh, he'll, she'll say, farm boy, go fetch the hay or farm boy, do this. He'll look at her and say, as you wish. And the, uh, the narrator in this part, after several of these incidents in which Buttercup tells him to do something, and he says, as you wish. He says, one day Buttercup realizes that every time Wesley was saying, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. <laughs> and I've always liked that because yeah. if, I think of, if I think of this relationship between God and us as a slaveholder-slave relationship— God's ordering us around and we have to obey because it's just God's the master. That doesn't sound very loving to me. Sure. But if we think of God as a wise father who knows what's best for us in the world and calls us to do things that are for our good and the common good, then that's a love-based kind of discipleship. And I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, that that's awesome. I, I really like that. I think that's a great example. And uh, my wife's been telling me to watch that movie for quite some time. <laughs> I need to watch it. You, you continue to, to press me on. I remember uh, this is com- completely off the rails, but we were uh, in Maryland. We do this thing where, where we love steamed crabs, Amer- you know, Maryland steamed crabs, the whole thing, not crab legs, the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, we, okay. were, we were eating those in a restaurant with my uncle one time and my uncle uh, was inebriated to use a a nice <laughs> word, and yeah. he started getting on about this movie and like going on and on and on about the Princess Bride. And the guy behind us turned around and was like, "I love that movie." And then, oh, it's one of those. It's a cult <laughs> kind of a movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I have used many lines from that movies and sermons, and you know, just yeah, you got to see it. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I, <laughs> perhaps I'll go watch it immediately following this <laughs> conversation. I love Sweet. It. Yeah. Well, I, again, thank you so much. Like this, um, this whole uh, interview for me, I know personally has been 
uh, extremely helpful. I, I know for a fact that even for our listeners that might be a little bit hesitant, there are definitely some very positive things uh, in this conversation that all of us need to hear. Um, a lot of good truth. And even for those of you who are listening or are still skeptical, just take this challenge from me or perhaps from Tom. He has way more credibility. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> allow, allow these kind of conversations to build and strengthen your faith. Even if you don't agree, we should always, always, always be interacting with, with different believers and, and people across the theological spectrum, even if they disagree with us or perhaps because they disagree with us, because if, if nothing else, it helps grow in our faith and in our relationship with Christ. And so let me at least challenge you with that. But for me personally, I have really enjoyed this, uh, Tom. I, I'm grateful for your work. I'm grateful for the lives that you have touched, for the fruit uh, that has mm. come from these things. Um, and, you know, I always like to say haters going to hate. And that's you can find yeah. that in Proverbs 9, 8. Um, oh, and I always I tell that. people to yeah. Google it. Yeah. I Hold on. I'll pull it up real quick. It's, it's not exactly that straightforward, if I'm honest. Yeah. But um, close I'll, enough. Huh? Very close well, enough. What yeah. you're looking for. While you're looking for that, sure. is it okay if I read one more email? Oh, absolutely. I got a reader of God can't. That yeah, might be a nice wanted, way to conclude. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted actually, I was going to ask you to do that. So that would be perfect. Okay. So uh, this is from, well, I, I won't say who it's from, but one of the readers. I wanted to write and thank you for God can't. My daughter has a rare and complicated issues that stem from a functional nerve disorder called autonomic neuropathy. If you've seen the movie Miracles from Heaven, my daughter has a similar condition. Unfortunately, that movie perpetuates the view that we need a miracle to heal her. At the movie's conclusion, we're offered the claim that, quote, if you're suffering, just know God is with you without really wrestling with the implications of that view. Mm. Your view that God can't control my daughter's health situation provides a great sense of relief. A God who influences and lovingly comes alongside everything in my daughter's life to bring about the best possible makes complete sense. God can't force a cure single-handedly, but God works in her body and uses various treatments and medications to bring some, belief, some relief. Thank you for giving me this new perspective. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's uh, man, <laughs> I get emotional just hearing these stories. My, oh, so, they're powerful. Uh, something to know about me, my students make fun of me because I'm a crier. And, yeah. and my wife makes fun of me because she was like, you, you'll never cry. I never see you cry. But then, you know, whenever you're preaching or something, you cry for no reason. And like, <laughs> so the, but these, these stories just connect with me at, at nothing yes. else, but at a human level, at a heart yes. level, like yep. these are real people. These are people that are made in the image of God, that God loves. These are people that Jesus died for. <laughs> these are people that God are calling back to himself and yep. just their stories are so, so beautiful and so powerful. And just, again, I keep coming back to this idea that you'll know, uh, you know, you'll know something based off of its fruit. 
You know, yeah. you know, a good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, and continually there is positive, good, beautiful fruit coming from the tree <laughs> of yeah, whatever yeah. you want to say, the tree of Thomas J. Order or, or these thoughts and these <laughs> ideas of, of God can't. Uh, that's just so beautiful, and I I think um, if we can get past our fear of you know offending whoever with our theology or being afraid of whatever people call you a heretic that we'll yeah. see how truly loving God is. And yeah, I think that's yeah. so beautiful. And it, it just, it always points me back time and time again to the person of Jesus. Yep. Cause I've always heard yeah. if you're going to preach a sermon, start wherever you start and make a beeline for Jesus and <laughs> make a beeline <laughs> for the cross. So I always, this always draws me back in, into, you know, awe and wonder of God's majesty of his love, of the love of Christ. And I think uh, that's a beautiful thing. So again, thank you. Uh, for yeah, that. you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me to have this chat. I've, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it too. And I know for a fact, after Marty hears this, he's going to be super bummed that he was not a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Sorry. Sorry you weren't with us, Marty. Talk yeah. another time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Marty, even though the Washington Capitals are a superior team to the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, <laughs> I can get my jabs in there because he can't defend himself. That's uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, thank you uh, again so much for your time. And um, real quick, I just something really cool just happened uh, that I wanted to tell our listeners about uh, recently. And forgive me if I get the name wrong, but uh, there was a Center of Open and Relational Th- Theology um, that had just started recently. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, just this week. Yeah, exactly. I remember uh, you had posted it and you tagged us in your post, which I really appreciated that. That was awesome. And I went on the website, checked it out. There's a lot of really cool people involved uh, with that project. And so can you just, you know, just for our listeners, share a little bit about that real fast. Yeah, the Center for Open and Relational Theology promotes the ideas of that kind of theology and also brings people together to think about ways to uh, work on projects, to promote ideas, and um, it, there are a ton of really cool people involved. So uh, I, the uh, the website is uh, the letter C, the number four, and then the letters O-R-T, C4-O-R-T.com, Center for Open and Relational Theology. Awesome. I'll be sure to, uh, to add that in our show notes so our listeners um, can go and check that out because I think that's a really cool thing. I'm excited that that has started. And like you said, there's a ton of really cool people, really uh, thoughtful, Jesus-loving people uh, involved yep. in, in that group. And so I'm excited to see uh, what comes from that. Cool. All right. Thanks again, Josh. Yeah, thank you. Take care.